Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, 28th day of March 2019. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, or John Stacy. And uh, today we have uh, guest speakers, uh, Dr. Bash and uh, Bill Krieger. He's he's going to be coming in here shortly. but uh, how are you doing today, Dr. Bash? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Doing good well, that's, the, uh... that's a good deal. It's always good to hear your voice. And we we yeah. know that, the, well, I think this is Bill uh, coming in right now. Um, let me bring him into the queue. How are you doing, Mr. Krieger? Well, hi, hi. No, I'm I'm recovering. <laughs> I'm had a rotator cuff tear got it all sewn back together again well good deal (laughs) well we was getting concerned about you we thought maybe the RS or somebody was after you but uh, (laughs) well I actually I've actually filed an extension this year so they're not after me yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah they want their money they they don't like giving extensions (laughs) Uh, well, we have Dr. Bashman and uh, Jay Basser. He's in there. So, uh, Bill's going to say something about secondary injuries, Bill, or are we going to talk about some uh, CUE stuff for both? Yeah, I, I was um, thinking about those things today. Um, let me throw a monkey wrench into it, though, for a minute. Uh, not long ago, today, I just reviewed a, a story in uh, Smart News indicating uh, that they reviewed a, a study of veterans in VA nursing homes that found in 25 states um, veterans were either suffering with injury or placed at um, immediate jeopardy. Um, that well, that distressed distressed me so much that I I wanted to bring it up if I may. Well, poor yes. Quality, poor quality, poor quality, poor quality in nursing homes. Bill, is that was the idea? Yes, those were inspection reports, yeah. uh, and. Um, uh, through from April through December of 2018, private contractor, and they found deficiencies in 52 out of 99 VA nursing homes. Oh my land! That caused actual harm to veterans, and in three facilities, they found veterans' health and safety in immediate jeopardy, and in eight, they found veteran harm and jeopardy. Yeah. Well, that's the majority. You know, Bill, I, you, know, back, you know, back in the day when I used to work PGA and I was doing those site visits, you know, going around, 
part part of what I did was going to nursing homes at the same time, you know. And then mm-hmm. I I uncovered a lot of um I uncovered a lot of similar kind of stuff you're talking about. I think I found out that the ones that were attached to hospitals were better than the ones that were displaced from a hospital because they had more staff and more supervision and doctors were in there more and stuff like that. But I found some horrific problems too. There's been a lot of, I found a lot of veterans in civilian nursing homes too, that were also not perfect. So, you know, I'm glad they're doing this survey and supervision is really important to, to look for standards. The problems with those nursing homes back in the day weren't, weren't accredited like the joint commission never used to go around and check on nursing homes. So those places could get kind of sideways. Well, you know, I know uh, Sherman Howard was working on that. He's in Georgia, and he said the one there in Georgia, down around, I think Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where he lives, uh, was such a pitiful mess, and he'd been complaining to everyone, and they just won't pay attention to him. I don't know what it's going to take to get these uh, nursing homes squared away. Uh, you know, it's just not right that they treat uh, the elderly veterans in, right. in such a way. Right, right. Bill, how, that's right. It's exactly right. And uh, surveys are good. You know, inspections. Bill, who did the inspection? Was it a private company? Yes, it was uh, a contractor. It was a contractor. Who paid, yes. who paid for it? Um, Did they pay for it? Let me see. Uh, I might be able to find that. Let's see. That would be, you know, in my experience, those inspections are really powerful. We could start a philanthropic organization to do inspections, you know? Veterans helping veterans. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm reading that now to see what I can yep. find. While I'm scanning yep. through here, um, I'd like to mention that, that I, too, were amongst the... Uh, service officers assigned to monitor health care at a variety of VA hospitals. And yeah. as I recall, one of the most frequent breakdowns was the um, failure to turn patients who are, are not able to uh, move themselves and the result yeah. being... The cubist ulcers, yeah. or what's called bed sores, in common terminology, and um, uh, the, the breakdown that I found most often was that when the patient is admitted, they're supposed to have these skin care protocols written by VA attached to their chart bedside, and each interval when the patient is scheduled to be turned the nurse or the attendant is to initial the box and write down the time that they actually turned the patient. What I observed was at that time that those protocols were not always making it to the bedside. Now, now I hope there's some improvement because they've gone to electronics now that, you know, you you just look in the screen and the screen should tell you turn the patient every so many hours. And so, um, that's that's one aspect, and I I did note in this article that bed um, um are one of the ailments that they found um, occurring uh, too um, often. 
In more, it is, inspectors found that staff at more than two dozen VA nursing homes failed to take steps to ensure bed sores healed or new ones didn't develop. They can occur when frail people are left in the same position too long. In Cincinnati, one resident had five bed sores in six months, yet when inspectors visited, they found no one moved the man or put cushions under him for hours. So are they marking them that they did turn them and they, then they didn't actually turn them? The article didn't say. Um, this, okay. is, um, this is uh, in the USA Today and uh, the Boston Globe uh, collaborating, I guess, USA Today. And this article that came to me on Smart News um, came in just four hours ago. Uh, so I, now, I, um, I want to you well, for a time, I, when I was stationed at one VA hospital and, and tasked with trying to help, I was serving on committee at the hospital. One of the things that um, became obvious was that for patients with um, severe debilitation, like a paralysis, um, they are vulnerable to respiratory infection and urinary infection. And lo and behold, this article is citing those same two problems. But when I was at the, uh, this one particular hospital, um, the chief of neurology there um, decided um, and, and mandated that these paralyzed patients, when they come in, instead of going to an infectious disease ward, which was what routinely goes on for a patient with an infection, they would be admitted to the neurology ward where they had um, better equipment, um, staff, and greater spaces, and better immediate experience dealing with people who are vulnerable for these types of disabilities or, or problems. And uh, the, the rates improved at that hospital thereafter. I don't know what's going on there now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my goodness, I want them. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the power yes, yeah. you could form a pressure sort in uh, 20, 20 minutes, you know, but the, uh, what I found was that when the staffing, when the nurse staffing numbers were too low, the pressure sort numbers went up also, you know, so. Yes, and that's, that's what was happening in the infectious disease board, and they have a higher uh, caretaker to patient ratio in the uh, neurology ward, so it, it worked out to be much better. Yeah. For the patients, oh, I just I just needed to get that out there. Um, and of course, if anyone wants to know if someone's been harmed and they believe it's due to uh, negligence, fault, or lack of uh, judgment, uh, compensation by VA may be available for any addition any additional disability caused by VA care. You'll find that in Title 38, United States Code, Section 1151. Probably anybody with a pressure store, store, those are totally preventable and totally known about. So you could probably argue, I could argue that 
the Perchisaurus negligence. You know. And uh, I, I have to say, in my observation dealing with um, VA employees, um, physicians, um, and physicians who were serving in adjudication capacity to advise on uh, adjudication claims, um, my recollection is that they were somewhat um, of the uh, uniform opinion that development of a pressure sore is a known risk, and that that's going to happen in a certain number of cases, um, regardless of the quality of care. And I, I just never personally no. bought into that. Never, never did. No, no, that's not. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's that's dumbing that's dumbing down medicine. It's been known for yeah. years. You can prevent yeah. it, but people. You know, it's a, a manpower issue that are trying to, you know, minimize. Yes, it. and those oh, those decubitus ulcers take so long to manage and to heal. It's an arduous course. Then once you get a scar, you're at higher risk for it to repeat. Yada yada yada. You know. Yes, yes. Um, would it, would oh, yeah. it benefit uh, if we run down the uh, requirements for such a claim? What's that? What's that, Bill? Yeah, should we sort of blo- uh, mention what's required to prevail? Oh yeah, yeah, for oh for one fifty one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's been a been a, a long history. Of course, it, it, there's been a provision. The original title was three five one, and then it got renumbered back in nineteen eighty. Um, for many many years, VA said there had to be a fault. There had to be negligence or some uh, other basis to compensate a veteran. And then a, a case uh, came came about in Brown. Um, um, the courts found that uh, VA's imposition of the fault requirement was in excess of that right of the statute and set that aside. The VA had to compensate a, a great number of veterans for disabilities incurred as a result of VA treatment. Uh, the following year, after Congress paid uh, the funds necessary to pay those claims, Congress enacted a new statute at 1151 and reimposed the fault requirement. So, that, that was a very expensive proposition. Uh, so, yeah. the, uh, there, is, there is this finding um, that, and, and the these are spelled out um, in 38 CFR 3.358 and 3.361. Guidance is also hey, provided by yes. Oh yeah. So we said this, well, go, go ahead and finish your sentence. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, guidance was also established by VA General Counsel, President Opinion 40. Now there are three. Uh, there are base. There are criteria that must be met. And the first prong is that you actually have an additional disability. It actually must exist. Okay. And to determine that, you uh, you are required, as VA is required, um, to assess the physical condition immediately prior to the beginning of care, and then after uh, whatever relevant incident is claimed to be responsible for the additional disability. Um, now, once you satisfy the threshold requirement of actually having an additional disability, 
the next requirement is to show causation. Now, this is different from service connection in this regard. You may recall from one of our earlier discussions that service connection for a disability, relating it to military service, may be shown either by causation or by coincidence. For example, if you develop hypertension while you're on active duty, it's service-connected. You don't have to show that something happened to you in the military to prove that it was caused by the military because it was present during your military service. So unlike that, 1151s do not permit a finding of coincidence. There must be actual causation. The words require both actual and proximate causation. So you can't, you can't come in 10 years later and <laughs> say, I think uh, this might have been caused by a treatment I got 10 years ago. Um, now, no, don't uh, misinterpret that or, or don't allow me to overstate it. it does, there's no statute of limitation. So if you have a disability that you think is related to VA care, you certainly may file a claim regardless of um, when that event occurred. Now, um, once we establish that there is an additional ability, disability, then we've established actual proximate causation. Now we have to establish, is it a result of carelessness? Is it a result of negligence? is a result of lack of proper skill, result of error in judgment, or some other instance of fault that proximately caused the additional disability. So, Bill, so, those don't have to yeah. have all those. It could, be either, it could be any one of those, right? That's correct. Any one of those, one of those any one of those that I've discussed so far, are mm -hmm. independent bases for finding that uh, you've satisfied the, what we generically refer to as the fault requirement. Now, yeah. let's say VA didn't do anything wrong and they did exercise and provide good care. Nonetheless, if the care or treatment furnished was done without informed consent, that might provide a basis for compensation. So. If you go in and the doctor says, uh, okay, I'm going to have this surgery, and it has a risk of infection, and it has a risk of bleeding, okay, and you consent. And after the surgery, you are paralyzed with uh, paraplegia. They didn't mention paraplegia in the informed consent. Therefore, that might provide the predicate to allow compensation. Now, the, the last uh, criteria is an event not reasonably foreseeable based on what a reasonable health care provider would have foreseen. Okay? Not completely unforeseeable or unimaginable. One that a reasonable medical provider would not have considered to be an ordinary risk of the treatment provided. Okay? So, so those are some so, of the parameters. Yes, Doc. 
you want to you remember that case, that angiogram case, or do you have an example we can talk about for that unforeseen outcome? Um, actually, I, I was thinking of um, a surgery that we did um, review. I'm not sure if you and I happened to see work on that same case at the same time, but I, I do recall a, a veteran had um, repeated surgeries to the cervical spine and had um, wound up as a, a quadriplegic as a result of the surgeries. And yeah. in that case, there was ample medical evidence to demonstrate, yes, it was a result of the procedure. It was a result of VA care. Um, there was an additional disability. But there was no fault, negligence, or substandard care involved. They did... Um, a good job, but the outcome was unfavorable. We prevailed in that case because once all of the records had been reviewed, it was determined that the veteran had suffered what's known as a tethered cord, where the calcification process um, from the degenerative joint disease had, in effect, tethered the cord to the vertebrae. Uh, so it, it was somewhat immobilized. During the procedure, it was necessary to expand the space between the vertebrae in order to insert uh, bridging material to fuse the uh, two vertebrae. When they expanded the space, of course, they're stretching all the tissue around, but what had, they had not foreseen was the fact that this cord had been tethered, and when they did that, it stretched the cord. And that compromised the circulation, the cord began to degenerate, and the result was quadriplegia. So um, that's an example of an unforeseen um, complication. So that's a brief kind of rundown. Unexpected, kind of the unexpected outcome, right? Build the idea that it's not what you expect to have happen. Right. What a reasonable right? healthcare provider would have anticipated. Okay. Now, yeah. generally speaking, yeah. you're going to find those um, predictable complications or consequences on the informed consent that the patient signs prior to the procedure. Um. If it's not included in the written authorization, in some cases the court has permitted uh, VA to present evidence showing that the uh, physician had discussed it with the patient, and that was documented in treatment records. So that's so another way VA way? can say, yes, we warned you about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually the way I interpret that is that you know, not understand informed consent and that they might say that there's a 5% risk of X, Y, Z, you know. But that means, in my mind, that the expected outcome is that there won't be any X, Y, Z, you know. So even even if X, Y, Z happens and it's on informed consent, I still write it up as a, you know. As a, I, I understand, but that's not exactly not what, um, that's not exactly spelled okay. out in, um, the guidance available to us. Yeah. Well, I push it 
I push it that way with my medical opinions, you know, because I think it's yeah. not the same. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the way to figure these things out is to get them adjudicated. Yeah, um, right. You, you first file your claim at a regional office with the appropriate documentation. Um, then you get a decision from the regional office. If that doesn't go favorably, you appeal to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, and, uh, ultimately uh, perhaps to the court. If there's an interesting question in the law, they would be interested in reviewing that um, and interpreting what the rules are. And the, the court's been invited to um, review this issue on, on several occasions. And, uh, Million, normally there's a million different mm-hmm. types of things that can, be, that can occur, and normally the informed consent doesn't cover, you know, more right. things. So there's a lot of things that can be. The veterans should know that anytime they have a bad outcome, they should look for this pathway because there's a lot of things that have to be looked at carefully. Yes, um, that that kind of a claim, I would say, you you really want to prepare fully uh, before you even submit it. Um, your, your regional office staff um, probably doesn't have a, a whole lot of experience with 1151 claims. I recall the office where I work, I was frequently being asked about it because of my, you know, long experience. And uh, folks at my office were frequently coming to me for with questions and for some assistance with 1151 claims. So um, be sure that you've got all the documentation you need, and, uh, and it would be of great help if you had an opinion that said, well, you know, here's what the VA did wrong. You know, and, and it, I wouldn't hesitate to put in a copy of that study if you could get a copy of it to say, hey, look, your, your nursing home here has been listed here as being negligent and careless. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, make the case uh, with a medical opinion explaining in detail exactly what they did wrong. Um, I recall so my experience. Now, I'll, I'll go back to one um, case regarding uh, detubitus ulcers. Um, and there, there was a, a lingering chronic uh, disability resulting from the um, ulcer even after it healed. And so it was important to um, make the claim. And when um, what I, um, I was able to persuade the Board of Veterans' Appeals to grant this, um, the, the regional office and the medical opinions they obtained from the facility that treated the veteran, I'll get back to that in a minute, <laughs> what, what they, they were satisfied that the standards of care had been met because uh, there was no documentation to show neglect. Okay? On my side of the coin, I argued that, look, your own practices in the Veterans Health Administration requires you to document the turning of the patient. Because you did not produce that documentation, you cannot demonstrate that you turned the patient. Therefore, it didn't happen. 
because had you done it, it would have been documented per your own regulations and, and provisions. There's a, there's a concept called the administrative, uh, the presumption of administrative regularity. And what that means is a federal officer in the conduct of their routine business is presumed to do what their rules say they will do. And so I use it in that context to say your rules say if you did it, you documented it. Since you didn't document it, you didn't do it. (laughs) So had you done it, in accordance with the presumption of administrative regularity, we would have a record of it. Uh, therefore, you didn't do it. Um, it was persuasive. The board, uh, the board agreed and compensated the veteran. Um, so I thought that was a, a, good, a good outcome in that case. Uh, uh, Bill, now... Yes. I still come back to them uh, recording this electronically. If, if they're recording mm-hmm. it electronically and they're tapping that uh, a box that they turn the veteran at a certain hour, and mm-hmm. they didn't. Now, whether they mm-hmm. forgot or whatever reason, don't matter, they didn't turn the veteran. But yet the box is marked. The veteran gets uh, these bed sores, and uh, you know the serious bed sores. Wouldn't that mm-hmm. be evidence mm-hmm. that they did not turn the veteran? I mean, how I'm not beyond. You... Let me call that prima facie evidence. Meaning, yes. Okay, it it raises a suspicion. It makes a suggestion. That gives us cause to thoroughly analyze the question and have it done by a medical expert witness. Um, now, I just wanted to come back to one point. You know, I brought up um, the fact that the regional office in that case relied upon a medical opinion from the same hospital that provided the care. Yes. I felt that that was somewhat of a conflict of interest. Um, I try to think of myself uh, in the place of this physician at this VA hospital and what it would take for me to say, yes, my boss blew it. (laughs) 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 So I was always uncomfortable, and I frequently raised the argument before DBA that uh, we would prefer to have it from an independent source uh, because there's an inherent conflict of interest having it come from the same facility under review, you know, and um, I never had any success. I never did. Um, there was uh, just, just um, it was unpersuasive to DVA. Um, yeah. A lot of times yeah, that, uh, yeah. that skill and judgment is hard to get to, you know. So um, one thing I noticed a lot, and these things has to do with timing. You know, a patient comes in and they're supposed to have testing done, it's delayed, or most hospitals have waiting lists and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Falls in. It's oh, it's an easier oh, way re- to try and get it to quality. I remember the amputation case now. 
Oh, my goodness. That, that would be very instructive. Um, we had a patient who was um, paraplegic, uh, completely numb from the waist down, um, complete loss of low extremities found bladder. Now, patients in that condition know that they need to do regular physical therapy or stretching exercises. The paralyzed body will contract into the fetal position unless you regularly stretch it, okay? So this veteran was doing his stretching of his lower extremities when he audibly heard a pop, and he wondered what it was, but of course he's numb, so he can't feel anything. Um, later that day, he felt odd, and uncomfortable, which paralyzed patients know is, is a warning sign. And he felt, and he attempted transferring from chair to wheelchair and what have you, and he found that to be more awkward. And so he presented himself to the VA Medical Center on a Friday evening. They took a... Um, x-ray of his hip and did not find any abnormalities. So they gave him Tylenol, which of course he doesn't need because he doesn't feel any pain, and told him to come back if it gets any worse or if he has any further problems. Over the weekend, his leg began to discolor, and so he went back. This time, they x-rayed the leg and found that he had fractured his femur. So they immediately admitted him to the hospital, placed him in a cast, and began his care. His relatives came in visiting and noted that his toes were black and were extremely cold and had an odor sometime later, um, they had discovered that the limb had turned gangrenous. Uh, they, he filed an 1151 claim. It was denied based on a physician at that hospital saying this was appropriate care. Well, those of us who were employed by paralyzed veterans of America were instructed by our physicians on staff that you do not put a paralyzed limb in a cast because the circulation is already compromised and they are at much greater risk for loss of circulation or stasis, lack of circulation, or um, infection and gangrene. And so the hospital amputated his leg and declined later, the VA declined to compensate him. So uh, I had later um, become aware of the case and reviewed it, and I succeeded in finding that the regional office in reversing that as a clear and unmistakable error, um, they had granted the 60% then for the uh, amputation, but had not granted any other claims. Well, the problem with that is, you see, 
if you are service connected for one extremity and you have loss of use of the other extremity, they are both evaluated as service connected. He should not have been 60% per plus SMCK. He should have been 100% an SMCM for the loss of both limbs. And so it was a substantial settlement. So we felt good about that. <laughs> what a deal. Well, that's something to remember. Uh, you do not, but uh, what if you have neuropathy uh, really bad and, uh, uh, you know, you break your leg or your femur or something? Uh then it would be not wise, or you should not have it put in the cast. Is that correct? Don? Yeah, anytime you have neurologic losses where you have lack of sensation, you're at risk for, you know, pressure sores. And that's probably what they got was basically a pressure sore in there, you know, and then they got skin breakdown and that got infected. And, uh, so. It's all, any kind of neurological loss is risk. Hey, Bill, so go back he, over that thing on the loss of use of your legs again for a second, the K versus the uh, M. Do I explain those? Oh, uh, the paired, ex- yeah. paired, paired yeah. extremity rule. You see? Yeah. If, um, if a veteran has a loss or loss of use or one extremity, and then suffers the loss or loss of use of the other extremity. Then you are compensated as if both were service-connected. That second, that second loss of use could be either service-connected or not service-connected, Bill? That's correct. If, if you are service-connected for one, and you suffer the non-service-connected loss of the other, you are compensated for both. Okay, I, I can understand that. Yes, that would... That Third was, extremity um, rule, right, Bill? Third extremity rule, yes. That's another one to remember. <laughs> what we're getting the today. <laughs> How's that work? Well, yeah, it is, really. I mean, uh, you know, of course, uh, if you, you lose the use of, of one leg uh, or, uh, you know, and then your other leg gets all bunged up and uh, becomes useless, too, uh, mm-hmm. It's understandable that uh, they're tied together, and and you know they should be rated as uh, uh, two legs, not one. As if they were both. Yes, exactly right. Bill, does exactly that work in right. the upper extremities too? Yes, yes the extremities as well. Yeah, and and organs, organs. Oh, yeah. For example, kidney. let's take a kidney. Yeah. Let's take yeah. a kidney. Yes, nice. Let's say you have um, you've lost one kidney. Or let's yeah. let's change that. Let's say you've donated one kidney. 
Okay? So you only have one. Okay. All right? Yeah. One's gone. Uh, you donated yeah. it. And now you suffer the loss of use of the other kidney. You're in serious trouble. <laughs> but but uh, assuming you survive, um, and now you have a, a degree of kidney failure, okay, uh, you're compensated for both kidneys. Okay. okay. Yep. Yeah. Now, hey, got a question. now got a question back. that that statutorily, that's 38 U.S.C. 1160, and the implementing regulation is 38 C.F.R. 3.383. The manual is M211, Section 4, 2, 2K. 1A. <laughs> you, can, you can follow up with <laughs> I'll remember right, that. Here's the million, here's the, here's the million dollar question. What about a loan? Yeah. What about a loan? Yeah. What do you want to borrow? <laughs> no. What do you mean? Grind. I understand. Huh? Loan. Loss of use of one. Oh, loan. Well, well, well Yes, but that would be difficult to determine anyway because the um, involvement of one lung or two results in an overall loss of function, which and that's what's evaluated anyway. Do you understand what I mean? If, if, if you have, um, yeah. uh, let's say you have one lung that's not functioning or you have two lungs that are one-half functioning, it would be the same evaluation. It would not be um, readily possible or apparent how to say how much is due to the service-connected lung versus a non-service-connected lung. That would be rather difficult to establish. Hey, Bill, I got a question about that 1151. You know, when we mm-hmm. do uh, medical practice, we might um, measure the amount of skill based on the training the person has. Does the training... Say a nurse practitioner versus a physician, so, uh, lack of skill come into the level fifty one. Um, no, what what I would the way I would say that is that the um, the measure of skill level that's appropriate would be for the service provided. So if if the procedure was surgical, it would be a function of the surgeon. If for another example, for decubitus ulcers, uh, surgeons don't do that. I mean, surgeons don't uh, turn the patient at regular intervals. That's done by the nursing staff. And so it would be the standards of the nurse as opposed to the doctor. But in the case of VA, um, those standards, if, if they have someone attending the patient, those standards of skin preservation are part of VA's protocol. And, you know, whether, whether you're a candy striper or, you know, RN, um, those, those documented rotations of the patient are, are there or they're not. And so, it, it's, so it's not um, a stratification-based time. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't, wouldn't matter much what your training was, although, um, you know, 
Building a case, uh, if you track it down to the individual responsible at the time you allege the injury, um, then you can you can find out uh, what kind of um, ability they have and and make a case. Um, now, if we might go back, the court's gone down this a number of times, and uh, it's important to understand that. You know, it, it has to be a result of treatment, not just coincident with being in the hospital. Um, there was a case back in 93 where the, the veteran was standing in the hallway reading a bullet board or something when another patient drove by and struck him with his electric wheelchair, causing an injury. That injury was not subject to compensation under 1151. It was not incurred as a result of VA care. Now, um, another discussion. Uh, we had a case of the Agus, uh a long time ago now, <laughs> back in um, 2013. Now, what happened back in that instance, uh, VA tried to deny Mr. Viegas, uh 1151 compensation, saying that the disability was not directly caused by his VA treatment or care. The court said, yes, it was, because the VA facility had a duty to maintain the equipment that they were using for his care. And because of the equipment failure, he was injured. And so that, in that way, the court related it to the, um, uh, to the, uh, in, well, in that, that case, it was a grab bar. We've all seen in restrooms how they have a grab bar on the wall, okay? And uh, the patient, the paralyzed patient, uses that to lift himself to and from the wheelchair. Um, and that grab bar came loose from the wall and fell and, it, and caused injuries. And so, um, well, let's, so talk about, uh, let's talk about grab bars. Yeah. Let's talk about grab bars from the. I haven't been in the in the handicap, you know, I'm a wheelchair guy. I haven't been in a handicap uh bathroom in the last um 6 months that didn't have a loose loose grab bar on the wall. <laughs> you know. Those grab bars are used, you know, some patients are heavy and they so always and I've, I've, all that things out there. Yeah, I've, those grab bars I've visited some facilities and and restaurants and things like this and just kind of yep. tested it myself a little bit and oh my. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's an accident. Way we actually had one uh, member of PVA. Wherever he went, uh, he would always make a point of uh, checking those, and if they were loose, he'd rip them out of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want anybody hurt. And then he'd go running and complaining. And managed, yeah. didn't, didn't claim damage or anything, yeah. but he said, look, no, you can't. One of the, one of the, you know, yeah. one of the worst problems that that turned out to be, uh, unknowledgeable people, will take molly bolts <laughs> or, you know, these sort of things 
and mount them in, in, in plaster or, or you yeah. know, drywall. Right. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Anchor them in the studs, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> more, more dangerous, we have, we have one of our paralyzed guys that fell out of the back of a van years ago, right? The lift stand. And the quality wasn't good, and then for the head injury. So all that equipment maintenance is big, is big deal. Just for 1151. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that worked out. If if the uh, like in Vegas, if the um, if the equipment failed, and VA equipment used for your treatment, um, yeah, you gotta you gotta do that. You gotta compensate them. I hope if, if anyone does um, find themselves in, in need of seeking compensation for a disability incurred as a result of VA care, I, I, I hope that they will be very careful with the preparation of that case because this is a complicated matter, a lot of legal questions. Um, was the informed consent adequate? Did it embrace this? What, what is or, or would be what would be a, a reasonably foreseeable event um, following this procedure? You know, that kind, those kinds of questions. There's a lot of case law out there on it. Um, so it, it's, uh, you're going to have to have the right kind of guidance to be able to um, wiggle your way through these uh, caverns. How about one of the universal... Well, the universal codes is that those can be large, large awards, and they get very highly scrutinized. Any large award, right, Bill? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And and this does include psychiatric uh, problems too. What was that one? Did we lose that one? We lost one. Well, I lost one years ago. It was a, it was a side effect of lithium. I think the guy was. Oh, the lithium. Yes, and yes, I I um I recall that case. Yes. And I'm uh, I'm going to tell on you, Doc. You you um you're very <laughs> generous and 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 thank you very much for trying uh, to do that gratuitously for that uh, that widow. She we didn't prevail, but um, she was uh, we definitely had a, a good case thanks to your donation of your generous time for <laughs> <Like> that lady. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was kind of you to, to do yeah. that. Um, and I, I never, I was never satisfied with the fairness of the process in that particular case. Again, VA was relying on medical opinion from a physician at the facility against whom the 1151 claim is is being filed. And I could tell from from the um, narratives that this individual was writing that they were staunchly defending the honor and integrity of the facility, and that was its primary purpose, you know. But this didn't seem to me that the, uh, the, the, uh, neither the, the position he was placed in nor the opinions that he authored were a result of a, a fair and impartial process, and I was never satisfied about that. I really wasn't. Yeah. Couldn't you appeal the fact that they used the same facility? Uh, why didn't uh, they go uh, to a uh, like a third party or a different even a different facility? Well, you know, independent medical expert. You know, the board had that authority as well, and 
I was satisfied that the uh, evidence we had at that time was sufficient to grant the benefit, so I encouraged the board to grant it, and instead they didn't. Um, Do we go around like three opinions for me and three opinions for some other um, position right now, back and forth? Uh, Best I recall, they were, well, they did have two different sources, both from the same facility. one one person in opined twice, um, in essence, blaming the veteran for dying. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, blame the veteran. Uh, I I wasn't I wasn't happy about that case to say the least. You know, it's just a shame. Um, the the widow did not want to pursue it beyond that point. Um, I. Did uh, contact uh, the family indirectly through the service officer to say, uh, maybe this is something we could argue before the court, but they didn't. They didn't want to do that. Yeah. These medication overdose or medication cases are seem to be. I've had a couple of those. It's kind of hard when you know. Yeah. By the way, um, we were discussing paired organs and extremities a bit earlier, and um, if you are compensated under this uh, Section 1160 for paired extremities um, and it results in death, Dependency Indemnity Compensation, DIHC, and Dependent Educational Assistance um, could be awarded. Um, But you would not be um, entitled to uh, specially adapted housing. Oh, and on that alone, on that alone. I mean, you may have other bases for finding. You know, there's a provision for specially adapted housing that would say loss of use of one extremity and other disease, okay, that, that impairs you from ambulation. So, uh, but you couldn't rely on paired extremities to satisfy the, the loss of two limbs uh, for a specially adapted housing. I got you. Bill, I, I still have a question here about the kidneys. Uh, suppose mm-hmm. you lose one kidney... And then, uh, say, a year later or so, uh, you have to have uh, uh, dialysis uh, treatments uh, regularly because the other kidney is not functioning well enough to uh, take care of everything like it's supposed to. Now, Mm -hmm. would that be uh, considered as the loss of use of both organs? Yes. Oh, yes. The manual at the manual at M twenty one one, part yeah. four ratings. Okay, I I two K one C. Okay, loss or loss of use of one kidney due to service connected disability, and involvement of the other kidney due to non service connected disability is sufficient to evaluate it for both. Okay. 
That's uh, what I was asking. Because I know a veteran just lost his kidney, one of his kidneys. And, uh, he called me the other day, and he, he had been in the hospital like a month, and he said he had lost one of his kidneys, and he had other issues. And I was thinking then that uh, uh, if he had to have a dialysis, uh, you know, how that would come into play. I didn't know. But it sounds like uh, what you're saying here makes a lot of sense. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You find uh, look up this uh, other rating schedule here. Pull this up, part four. Well, I don't know how many of you uh, use this VA self-serve, but I find it a little challenging when you, you hover over one section and then it tells you, it gives you a list to the right of another, the other sections. And you have to make that mouse go stay within it, go straight across till you get to the next one. <laughs> Otherwise, it kicks you out. <laughs> and you bounce all the way back. <laughs> oh, that's a challenge. Oh, I lost it again. Look at that. Let <laughs> me go to part four here. There we go. I'm getting it. Oh, my gracious. <laughs> Bill's only using one arm, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Using one one arm, yeah. <laughs> My daughter-in-law asked me the other day, uh, you know, how's your work? And I said, well, it's a little challenging now. Well, how come? Well, you know, it's like hit the cap lock, hit the first letter, take off the cap lock, like the next letter. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're typing like I do now, Bill. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not not as fun with this either. <laughs> I am not okay. Get it done. Just get uh, it done a little slower. <laughs> oh mercy! <laughs> that made lots of use, Bill. Right, yeah, <laughs> lots of mouse. Lots of can't. Can you mouse get use. that? Uh, Service it is the moment. No, no. Well, well got, you know, no, got, I'm not going to have loss of use because it's only temporary. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, you know, that's a, that was an interesting question. I got a call from uh, some friends of mine well, before I retired. I got a call from, from some friends of mine at the uh, compensation service. And, and the folks at the compensation service had their head wrapped around this question. And said, where does it say that a loss of use has to be permanent in order to be paid special monthly compensation? And, uh, well, it just happened that I had a need in, in the past to research the history of SNC, clear back to it through its entirety. And it's clear, you know, it, it wasn't specified per se, but it was clear if you read the early document that from the beginning, the intent was for a permanent loss. Um, they, they had modeled it after what's called industrial insurance. I'm not sure how many folks would remember what that is, but 
um, generations ago, companies would make an arrangement with an insurance company. And the employer uh, would um, would have the uh, insurance agent come in, and the insurance agent would sell an insurance policy to the employees. And it would be very, very low price. Not, not anyone could afford it. And it would cover an employee for certain losses. If you, if you lost an eye, it would pay you a certain dollar amount. If you lost a hand, it would pay you a certain dollar amount. Okay? Um, and when Congress enacted um, these provisions into special monthly compensation, they modeled it after that insurance policy. So I was satisfied when I did the research that it intended um, intended to compensate people for permanent losses. But then VA's general counsel back in the 90s came out with a present opinion saying that you can award the housebound rate temporarily. You know, for like if you get a paragraph 29, paragraph 30 convalescence award at 100% and you have other disabilities at 60, you can get temporary SMCS. So that's sort of like, it sort of threw a monkey wrench in the thing and say, well, okay, well, if S, why not L? You know? <laughs> and, and, right, 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 right. But, right. um, best of my knowledge, it's it, it really, it, it really didn't satisfy the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, what if you got Parkinson's, like one arm worse than the other, and you can only use the one arm? Yeah, it's, uh, it's to, loss of use. In the, in the hand of, in the case of a hand, it's the ability of the hand to part meaningfully. I'm adding the word meaningfully to participate in grasping or manipulation, okay? Grasping yeah. and manipulation. And um, in the case of a foot, it's a question of whether or not the foot is participating in balance and propulsion, okay? So um, that's, uh, yeah, and, and I used to get calls from around the country from VA examiners. And um, they would kind of struggle with understanding this provision of, you know, equally served by an amputation and prosthesis and, and what that means. And what I had to help them understand for a long time was, no, it doesn't mean that he should have an amputation or that the amputation is recommended. No, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> and, and I explained to him, that, oh, doctor, picture two of your patients walking down the hall away from you, side by side. And one has, um, oh, the, the rather severe arth arthritic condition of uh, the low extremity, uh, maybe, or, or neurological impairment. And he's sort of, of uh, gimping along with the foot turned out to the side, rolling across the heel, making his way down the, down the corridor. And the other patient walking next to him is walking optimally on his new prosthesis. And he's done custom to it. It seems to be functioning well. Does that give you a hint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a minute here. Whoa. We're totally out of time, uh, guys. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's been fun. <laughs> and, uh, it's, thank you for the opportunity. 
I'm glad you you both got to come on, uh, Bill, you and Dr. Batch. This has been a real interesting show, and uh, thank you, thank you guys for making it so. Uh, yep. Hopefully, we'll get you back on real soon because I feel like we're we're just getting getting our second land here. <laughs> 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 Uh, anyway, yeah, we're out of time, so we have to shut it down. They've done shut us off. Right. Okay. Thanks, Thank you guys later. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bastard Show. <laughs>